Prince Henry. By the way, my mom is working for Birth Monopoly. I have a secret that I can't tell anybody. What I know about Birth Monopoly is not very much. This is Birth Aloud Radio with Kristen Piscucci. On this episode of Birth Aloud Radio, we're talking to Kimberly Turbin, who is the young mother in Los Angeles, California, who at the birth of her first baby in 2013 was given an episiotomy against her will by the attending doctor. She subsequently posted the video of the birth on YouTube and reached out to Improving Birth which I was the vice president of at the time. So we started working together, trying to get her a lawyer, trying to figure out what we could, you know, contact the hospital, how we could get answers for what was done. I think we're going to talk about that, that backstory a little bit and then also what, Kimberly, your life has been like since then, how, how the birth and the injury have affected you. So hi, welcome to the show. Hi, we did this. In 2014, we started talking about it, seeing, um, you know, I pretty much just posted the video just to see uh, if I was crazy or not. And then it turns out um, I was getting a lot of responses from midwives, doulas, and um, nurses that attend births all the time. And I was getting a lot of stuff, especially people um, in the States and in different countries wondering, what are we doing in America? Like, why are people getting treated like this? So that was my uh, initial reason to even post the video. I wanted to know, well, if it was valid. If I was crazy, fine, I was crazy, I would pull it off the internet. But then we started realizing that I wasn't the only one, and a bunch of other stories started to come in. After that, we decided, you know, go online and try to raise some money to figure out how we were going to work on this, and that's where I went. Yeah, because at that time... We weren't able to find a lawyer for so long that yeah. it was clear that the only way a lawsuit was going to be filed was if you filed it yourself. So okay. that meant that we needed to cover court costs and stuff like that. So I forgot about that fundraiser, actually, until you said that. Yeah, you uh, helped us fundraise to basically start the case. Yeah. And that was after we had been looking for a lawyer for over a year. It's like a year and a half, I think. Yeah, with no injury to, like, the baby or the mother, there's no case. Well, hold on. So, injury to the mother? No injury to the mother? Talk about your injury. <laughs> <laughs> My injury is forever and a lifetime. So what happened was they did an unconsented episiotomy, and they cut 12 times. Obviously, that's not an episiotomy anyone's ever heard of in the States or anywhere. So um, my injury at the time, it was pretty much – basically convincing gynecologists that um, I'm in pain, but physically I don't look any different, right? So they just, you know, they take a look and they're like, well, there's nothing really wrong with you. So why are you in my office? They brush you off and they send you elsewhere. After about four or five gynecologists, they pretty much, all of them just roll their eyes at you. So if you like tell them what happened to you, they roll their eyes because they feel attacked, like you're attacking one of their colleagues or their profession. Or they just think you're crazy and overreacting. You know, I begged the last one, just give me a referral to either UC Davis, Sacramento, or um, UC uh, San Francisco to their pelvic people. 
So I got a referral to go see a urologist. And when I went to his office, he um, did a Q-tip test. That's how they test to see if you have a vulvar pain. So what they do is that they talk to you first, and then um, they run some tests. Okay. They grab a Q-tip and goes towards me, and I naturally jump. My reaction is to jump. And he said, okay, uh, you have a lot of... Uh, Basically, I have muscle spasms. So he diagnosed me with lavator muscle spasms, uh, dyspareunia, which is uh, pain during intercourse, and vulvodynia. Vulvodynia is a condition that I think I'm pretty much going to have forever, but it's kind of like just a mask. Vulvodynia means that you have vulvar pain, and they pretty much don't know where it came from. It's just like a broad statement, or I don't know, just a diagnosis of vulvar pain. So they don't know where it came from. So some of my solutions would be he gave me a referral to go see a pelvic floor specialist. Now what pelvic floor specialists do is that they retrain your muscles and they show you how to use your muscles in your pelvic area to um, basically build them and make them stronger. She also goes in there and does internal work. Well, I had a hurt but it could be any, any, anybody could do it. So what they do is they place their thumb inside to release uh, muscle spasm. And so that's part of the work. And then you can also use dilators or um, they give you a medicine called amitripoline or muscle relaxers to kind of calm you down. And that helped a little bit. This was around 2016, 17. So that helped with the pain that I was getting during intercourse. So when you, well, I have vulvodynia. So when I was, you know, attempting to do intercourse, uh, it felt like shards of glass um, ripping you and cutting you inside. And it also feels like you're very dry. So one of my first symptoms was burning when I wiped with a baby wipe or lube would burn me or pads would cut me. So it was a lot of um, that type of stuff. And I don't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't figure it out yet. So it turns out that that's what I have. Now, my issue now, five years later, because I didn't know at the time, is now I just suffer from, it feels like someone's taking a needle and stabbing you basically in the right side of the vagina wall, and it sends a muscle spasm from your wall to your right hip, all the way down to your right knee. That, you know, when I did talk to the pelvic floor, uh, pelvic floor therapist, she said, you know, she helped me with the the pain during intercourse, but she pretty much told me that that's never going to go away. I'm currently in California, which for me, I'm in a great place for the market of CBD oil and uh, suppositories. Now, there is a company out there who sells CBD suppositories that you can place basically in your anus or your vagina, and it does help a lot with the pain. So I have a choice also to do a muscle relaxer or amitripoline or other um, prescription medications, what they do is you go to a compound pharmacist. Now, what a compound pharmacist does is they uh, make you a cream with, it's spelled B-A-C-L-O-N, baclofen, and then um, they mix it with a cream base with amitripoline, and you can put cream uh, around your vulva area, and it'll numb it, but it is also a muscle relaxer prescription pain med. So those can either be very addicting or it can give you severe anxiety. Uh, a tube of that with insu without insurance because they, they can't really know. It's really hard to get insurance to cover compound medications. 
Um, so that's $75 a tube and uh, you need it once a month. Obviously, if you have a job, kids, work, or if you can't be bedridden or lay down all day, that drug will put you to sleep or make you very groggy. I mean, you could pretty much say goodbye to driving, going out, working. I mean, you would, I assume you will get fired from your job. So that's why I, I didn't have the time to take it. I mean, I bought maybe three tubes and I'm like, this isn't going to work out. The muscle relaxers, it took me about three years to even finish them. I remember the doctor was scared to even give them to me. I said, honestly, I'm probably not even going to take these. So it was really rare that I took them because I don't usually have time off. Basically, after the episiotomy, I think vulvodynia, when you start talking to people that have that condition, it's pretty much um, people that took the wrong medications that uh, the doctor uh, gave you, and it gave you uh, the vulvar pain. Now, from my experience from talking to women all over the world with vulvodynia through Facebook chat groups was they either got it through mismedication, uh, they got it through birth control, or they got it through too much antibiotics will cause it too. So those are the three components. And then there's also people that suffer from trauma. So if you suffered like a traumatic experience, like maybe, um, you know, like a rape, or a traumatic birth experience, that will do it. Uh, with me, it was a traumatic birth experience, the cutting, and I think he just cut my vagina too soon. The pelvic floor tried to say it, but she couldn't really say it, was that when my muscles fused together, they didn't go back to where they were supposed to, so my muscles were a little bit confused, and they need to be retrained. All that, but I think the actual, my spasms come from pain, or maybe if I'm not feeling well, the pain triggers that area with the trauma. So that's where I'm at right now. It looks like it's going to be a forever type of thing. So for anybody who didn't see the, the video of the birth, he did cut the episiotomy, like, well, episiotomies very soon. So normally when an episiotomy is cut, you wait until like the baby's head is pushing thinning out the flesh around the baby's head so that when you're snipping it, it's, you know, much like thinner, but he didn't really give you any kind of a chance to push so that that skin was still, or that flesh was still like thick and there was a lot of it there. So each cut was a lot. So they were not as maybe superficial as they might have been had he waited and, you know, done it as medically indicated, which in this case, it was not medically indicated. Mm. So that was, that was a lot of information about, it sounds like you've learned a ton about this stuff. And I know you talked to lots of people about it. Yeah. I even uh, bought some pins. So we have a girl in the group that makes pins and um, she sells the proceeds to in the Volvodinia Foundation. A Volvodinia support group on Facebook. Yeah, um, I learned a lot. It's just, uh, it's just, there's so many pelvic concerns that we don't know where they're coming from. Yeah. And it seems like women are getting a lot of their information from other women because they're not getting it. Their care providers just don't have the information or aren't. They don't know. That's the problem is that they don't know. So you have to go through women that went through four or five years of wrong diagnosis being ignored or being thought that they're crazy so they could tell you which route you should go. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't even known half of this stuff. And I know you're supporting other women around it too, right? Like people who reach yeah. out to you. 
yeah, I have girls that I talk to on a regular basis. The the saddest cases, everyone's case is pretty sad, but the saddest cases I see is if you're a foreign, maybe like of Arab descent or Indian descent or of those places where, you know, you're, I even saw it on a TV show, like those true life sex TV shows. And what happens is that they're supposed to save and save and save their virginity. And it's, it basically triggers like you're scared to do it, right? Because you've been told that it's bad. You have to wait for your husband. And then when they finally do it, they realize that they have some sort of pelvic, maybe dysfunction. And it is very painful to even go near them in that area because they've been taught their whole lives that they can't use that part of their body. Or if they get pleasured, you know, it's wrong. So there's a lot of girls in the group also that are even virgins or have never really been touched. And it's kind of ruining their life because they finally are ready to do it and they don't know what to do and so it causes a lot of uh, like depression and I've seen a lot of girls that are uh, suicidal so that's why I take in a lot of phone calls uh, during the day you know I do have girls that say you know I want to today is the day that I want to die or you know those things and I just basically I just have to listen to what they have to say you know because I don't want anything to happen to them or you just remind them that they're not the only ones Um, but you can't you know, I guess a lot what we see on Facebook is here's a phone number. Don't do it today. But it's like, you know, everyone's in a different time zone. So what can you really do to help those those girls, especially if it's not just in your brain, it's physically there? Well, wow. I don't know. I get a lot of phone calls, too. Yeah, that's where it becomes kind of tricky because you don't want to say the wrong thing. But you also just want to let them know that you're not the only one. Um, so there's pretty much either girls that have the the pain that I have, you know, like the the needle, it feels like needles, but then we have uh, the other girls that are, have the raw burning and itching and the severe rawness uh, where they have to sleep with maybe like a frozen water bottle in between their legs. They have to take the cyst bath, but they've been like that sometimes for a couple of years or I've, the most I've met is girls with a condition for like 25 years. And there's, you can just imagine 25 years ago. I don't even know what they were doing. They don't even know what they're doing now. They just giving you compound cream. I mean, that's scary. Yeah, because you didn't really hear about this before recently, but you know it happened. So what was happening to all these women? Yeah. And it's a lot of not believing women's pain. Like they just think, oh, you're crazy and it's in your head. Yeah. Which you see a lot of research and media about that. That's definitely a thing. And it's been a thing for a really long time. Yeah. And males can have pelvic issues too. I, I, I think I've seen two males in our pelvic group. So it can affect anybody. Have many of these other women talked much about like their future birth plans? Like how does it affect their reproductive? Here's the hard part with reproductive. On the reproductive aspect, automatically everyone thinks that they need to jump into a C-section. So that's one of the concerns or a lot of the women say that uh, a birth actually healed their vulvodynia or their pelvic floor issues so it can either heal you with a vaginal birth or some are just too scared and will do a c-section and then some just will refuse to even have a baby at all they just i'm not doing it i'm not going to and that's the end of it those are really hard decisions to to i mean i wouldn't I, I don't think I would ever have a kid again in my life. I just, no way. There's no way. 
I'll tell you I cry at an eye exam. So I don't know if that's going to go too well. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about that, about what you just said. You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. This program is supported by attorney Susan Jenkins, a national advocate for midwives and birth activists, specializing in business, governmental, and political issues related to birthing rights and the practice of midwifery. She can be reached at area code 866-686-1348. Would you like to support Birth Aloud Radio? Please contact us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. We're back with Kimberly Turbin, the Los Angeles mom who sued her doctor for battery after he cut a non-consented episiotomy on her. And that case was resolved last year in January in 2017. And right before the break, Kimberly, you were saying how just going to the eye doctor makes you like break down. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what it's like going to healthcare providers now. I don't really tell them too much of what happened because I know they'll give you that like look. I'm just very paranoid when I go. I usually don't want to open up or I ask why or questions. What's it called? I don't, I mean, I pretty much just go to a gynecologist. I can have a pap smear now, but I don't, I either zone out or I just get really paranoid. Well, I mean, I think it's Uh, worth mentioning that it would make sense to most people that you would go to a healthcare provider and you would say, hey, listen, I had this really traumatic experience, you know, so can you please keep that in mind when you're treating me and, you know, take some steps to make sure that I'm treated well or, you know, I'm treated appropriately. But that's what you did in your birth. And and they really, (laughs) yeah, that that went very badly. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? So pretty much when I was giving birth, you know, my, you know, my mother was with me and all that stuff. I just let the nurse know quietly, hey, you know, I've had had issues with, you know, like sexual assault, rape, things like that. Just, I don't care what you do. I don't mind. I can take the pain. You just have to tell me what you're doing before you do it. Because otherwise I won't be able to, um, you know, I just need to know what you guys are doing. And she tried to say that it was going to be okay. You know, uh, I know she did try to talk me into the Pitocin for maybe about an hour. You know, she had to really talk me into it. I kept saying no, 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 no. And then um, everything was pretty much like, well, we have to now. You know, then we moved on to the catheter. And the catheter, I was no. I just, it took them an over an hour to try to even convince me to do the catheter. I know that I did want a um, epidural because I was terrified. I was already um, having probably uh, like a panic attack because I know that um, the nurse that was the treating nurse that was there at the beginning, you know, she did have to give me like a, something to chill, like a chill pill because I just wasn't, I was already losing it. I think I was getting PTSD um, right before the birth. And then, um, and then Dr. Bazi came and he did his check and, you know, he put his whole arm in there and I was basically climbing the bed sheet. Like, oh my God, it hurt really bad. So was that so, before you got the epidural? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I felt it. That was before. 
And then the anesthesiologist was just really rude, really rude. I remember asking him, like, do you want me to lay down? And his response was like, well, why would I want you to do that? And I was like, uh, I don't know, maybe because it's my first time. I mean, I don't know what you guys do. So that was that energy too was kind of off. Well, so it sounds like, do you feel like they gave that request of yours, like any consideration at all? The, the nurse at the beginning did, but then, you know, they changed shifts. And, then, you know, I didn't really have issues with the nurses. I think it was uh, the anesthesiologist and the obstetrician. Well, it's interesting, though, because you're talking about, like, how they, they had to, like, convince you to do stuff. That, like, you were saying no, and they, like, kept pressuring you for an hour until you finally gave in. Yeah, you have to give in um, in the hospital setting. Maybe because it's Medi-Cal. I don't know. They have to bill Medi-Cal differently. You know, I had Medi-Cal at the time. So I don't know what, what their excuse is. Yeah, the Pitocin, she was like, just a little bit. And I'm like, but why? There's nothing wrong. I don't know. Maybe I got to the hospital too soon. Well, that's how that went. Yeah. The aftercare, the aftercare is they feel attacked when you share uh, what happened to you. They just feel automatically attacked. And that's sad. That's sad. Oh, I recently went to the doctor and, and I did explain to him um, what happened. You know, he did have to do some sort of procedure on me. And I explained to him everything. And, you know, he came in, he gave me a hug. And he told me, you know, that I'm not a special case for him. He deals with uh, women with trauma. He deals with women that have gone through what I have. Um, he deals with women in birth that have complications. So that he, I was going to be okay. I wasn't like someone that he wasn't willing to treat. And that I'm perfectly going to be fine. We're going to do it together. And he, um, he was a doctor, a gynecologist. And he told me that we're going to doula our way into this. So he was awesome. And even if uh, whatever he had to do to my body at the time, I, I did scream and I was crying and I did flip out. And he said, we're okay. We're going to do it. It's going to hurt. Just breathe. We're going to be fine. And he was just awesome. So I did recently have a really good experience, even if I was in a lot of pain. Um, but the doctor was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember when you were. I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I remember like over the years talking to you about like the different doctors or care providers you were visiting. And it was just like one story after another of people being rude and dismissive and insulting. Very. Rolling their eyes. And I can't tell, honestly, Kristen, if I get, I do get treated kind of bad when I'm on Medi-Cal, when I have insurance through my job, I get treated a little bit different. I don't know if it has anything to do with that. It probably does. It has to. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't, but it does. <laughs> well, so didn't, didn't we find out that the doctor who attended your birth, Dr. Alex Abbasi, that most of his patients yep. are Medi-Cal and you talked to like a bunch, not a bunch, but a few of his patients actually contacted you to say, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I mean, you know, I didn't have the exact same situation as you, but he was equally as horrible to me and made my birth a horror show. Yeah, I met a girl at Del Taco in Los Angeles, and she said that, oh, she had the same doctor, she went to the same hospital, and that the nurses, um, after a uh, C-section, they left her with the blood, and she kept telling them to change her dressing, I think, or to change her and uh, the blood had stuck to her skin, and it ripped her skin off a little, and that they were laughing at her. 
and that she just had a horrible experience overall. And that doctor was so rude. Even if he uh, did the surgery correct, Dr. Bazi knows how to do surgeries correct. It's his attitude and the way he talks to you and treats you is that right. just ruins the whole moment. And so I was like, oh, I felt bad for her. And she was, you know, we're the same uh, race and stuff, and we were on Medi-Cal. Dr. Bazi got fired at the clinic where he was treating patients rude and mean and he was being mean to the pregnant girl so he was asked to leave at Projecto del Barrio. But I remember right after the birth like before the lawsuit was even a thing and we were just trying to contact the hospital to say he was suspended remember? Oh that's right after a while yeah but they but they wouldn't tell you remember like they wouldn't give you answers. They wouldn't tell me if it was me. I think they finally were like, he's maybe starting to embarrass us. I don't know what they're to do. I don't know what it was, but he was yeah. he was fired from Projecto del Barrio, the clinic, and then he was suspended from Tarzana Providence Hospital. Okay. Okay. And then he eventually surrendered his license to the Medical Board of California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is satisfying to know that he's yeah. not going to be hurting anybody else. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about how this has affected you emotionally and mentally also. I think, you know, when I had Rio, I was, um, I had a perfect pregnancy. I was happy. I was in Los Angeles. My best friend Gabby was pregnant at the same time. We were going to tandem breastfeed. Um, It was going to be the best time in my life I was able to I'm always working I've been working since I was 14 years old but this was the time like I was able to actually not be working and I attended school for a couple hours in the morning and then my dad would bring my son to school so I could breastfeed him everything was going to be bomb and then this happened and at the beginning I was kind of like still in shock so it was okay but then now we're seeing five years later that I'm very angry and very mad all the time. I am very pissed and I kind of take it. And then I have a lot of like unrelated issues partner wise. So um, I have that. Then I have the vulgar issue. Then I have to go to counseling because of all this. And it's like, uh, you know, it didn't, I think my life, turned out to be very different and kind of depressing and sad and and it's kind of like I got into a bad car accident and it's finally hitting me that my car accident caused me to have like a lifetime condition that's going to piss me off as I get older and there's really nothing it's like someone telling you hey and by the way we did this to you you didn't need it done I did it to you anyway because I don't give a shit about you or your body and now you're going to suffer for the rest of your life with this annoying feeling in your genital area. That wasn't your fault to begin with. I felt like recently, you know, I had to go to the doctor or whatever, and I had to make a medical decision about my body, which totally sucked. And they basically asked you, is anyone forcing you to come in here today? And I said, yeah, I feel like, you know, the doctor who decided to take it upon himself to cut me um, ruined the decision making for my body for the rest of my life, because now it's based on something that happened to me instead of what I actually want to do with my life and my body. Like my decision-making went out the window when he cut me in that area because now all my decision-making, you know, in the future if I want to like get married or have kids, I have to really think about do I want to bring another kid into the world to deal with the outcome of the vaginal issues I'm going to have if I choose to ever get birth again? Is it going to fix my problem? 
uh, it took away the happy time that I was supposed to have with my son. And basically, it turned me into someone that has, I have trauma brain. Like every, you know, even when something bad happens to me, it doesn't like hit me right away. But it just made me mad that I can't, my decisions that I'm making um, for like, you know, issues down there are all based because of what happened because it changed everything down there. So I feel like he took my decision making away from me. Like it's not mine to make anymore. Like it was with real. Like I really chose to have real. I was happy when I was pregnant with real. And then someone snatched the moment away from me and then also took like my future with him. Changed so I, I know I have a lot. Yeah. I have a, it's like a bad car thing. It's, it's like that. And then it's like you survive, but it's like you're grateful that you survived. But then it's kind of still in the back of your mind. You're like, well, middle finger to you because now I have to learn a new way of life. But that's just life in general. Anything can go wrong. It, the only thing I, I have out of it is I'm able to talk to other people about it or I can help other women and let them know that they're not the only one. How do you think but, it's affected your, your parenting? And I'm asking that because I just think it's important for people to understand the implications of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It messed up my parenting big time because, you know, a lot of times I'm maybe irritated or I'm screaming and I'll push my loved ones away and it's not really me. It's, you know, my pain or whatever. It's like any, any person that has those things. The cool thing is I am learning to like take whatever resources I have in the city that I live in and then I'm able to take uh, childcare classes. So right now, because it did affect me in a negative way, now I have to go back and reevaluate how I'm going to parent under uh, the conditions that I'm in. So I'm good at taking responsibility for what I did and the part that I played in it. And now it's time to like do it. But I think it totally affected me in a negative way. Otherwise, I would have been a lot happier. I still make it a point to take my son somewhere every day, like take him to the park, go out with him, you know, do things with him. And then um, I still have that. But it's not like that super happy mom that I was going to be. That went out the window. And then it'll change over time. I'll get better. But yeah, the parenting, it's like, you can't stop these like obsessive thoughts of what happened. It's just you have to learn a new way of uh, dealing with your irritation and your anger. Do you ever still have flashbacks or dreams about the actual birth? I get more PTSD. Like the other day I was walking home from work because at the time I lived across the street from my job and a man walked right next to me and I jumped and I screamed a little bit totally nothing to do with the dude walking next to me. I'm just paranoid. I've turned into a paranoid, scared, PTSD person that refuses to take medication. So that's where I changed for the worst, but I'm pretty good at picking myself up and and doing that. But that's, I mean, that's just off one birth. I know earlier we were talking before we started recording and you were saying how you refuse to take medication, like you're not going to take medication. But it sounds like it's not even necessarily an option anyway, because, like, you have to go to work and you have to support yourself. Yeah, I could take, like, antidepressants, but the problem with antidepressants is that um, when you're weaning off of them, United States or America, whatever, their doctors do not know how to properly wean you off antidepressants or SSRIs. And, you know, I joined support groups that are, like, uh, Zoloft should be illegal, amitriptyline should be illegal. And 
the people there have to buy their own scales and they have to slowly shave pieces of their medication off their pill and wean off appropriately. Now, if you go to a, a psychiatrist, you'll just say, cut the pill in half. If you're taking 100 milligrams, uh, drop to 75 to 50 to 25, and that's the end of the day. But that's not how you wean off of, of these uh, SSRIs. You have to slowly taper off or wean yourself off. And that's a huge process. And in the process, you get suicidal thoughts. And that's why I I went to the psychiatrist. She tried to give me all that. I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing it because I'm not trying to get off of these and make my situation worse. I, I'd rather just be angry. I told her, I'll go get therapy or whatever, but I'm not taking medications. And I've I seen what it happened to the people that I know, and I don't, I don't want to go that route. I'll just save myself the trouble. Yeah, it's not a silver bullet, that's for sure. No, and it doesn't fix everything. And I'm not suicidal now, so I don't want to go in and then become suicidal. I'm good. There were a couple of questions from some Birth Monopoly followers because I said mm -hmm. that I was going to be talking to you. Do you mind answering a couple questions? No, go for it. So a nurse wanted to know, in your birth, what would you have wanted from your nurse to prevent what happened? Would you have wanted him, her to like physically stop the doctor? I can't really do anything about the nurse because Dr. Abazi was one of those doctors that nobody can stop him. So I don't know if she necessarily, if she would have walked out or threw a fit. I think she would have got blackballed out of the hospital and fired from her job. And she was really young. So I don't, I wouldn't have won. I'd rather have taken what happened to me versus her being blackballed from her job. You would rather be so in I, pain for the rest of your life and then jeopardize her job? Only because I feel like it wouldn't have done anything. I don't think she would have changed that way the hospital thinks like that. I don't think she would have changed the way the doctor uh, thinks because he's so old. He was already in his 70s. I think, um, I don't think I would have asked her to do any, I just don't think she could, what could she have done if she would have walked out? They, I think they would have just replaced her with another nurse. Well, I don't know. I don't she, said, she said oh. physically stop him. What if she had like physically stopped him? And you're just saying you don't think it would have mattered. I don't think you could physically stop him. I think he would have continued to do it his way. So I don't know. I, I never really thought about what, I never thought about that ever. I've never thought what anybody could have done different because I, I feel like you couldn't do anything different because of the way Dr. Abazi walked in the room. He walked in the room with those scissors ready to cut. Nobody was going to stop him. Yeah, he walked in with authority. Well, he already has the, the reputation of, I'm Dr. Abazi. It's my way. If the hospital allowed me to do this and be this way, who's going to stop me today? Remember, when I went to medical records, they're like, that's how he is. Medical mm -hmm. records knew who he was. That's like, why do you even know who he is? Well, I think that says a lot. So somebody else asked, I hope it's not too personal, but how did what happened influence the relationship with her mother? How did it influence your relationship if it did? It didn't. Okay. I still treat my mother with, with love because she didn't know he was going to do that. She was basing it off a real episiotomy that she's had in the past with love and care. 
she's never had issues. I mean, she gave birth in Ventura County, Malibu. My mom been at hospitals in Malibu um, and uh, Los Angeles. And she pretty much never had issues with other doctors. And she's had an episiotomy in the past, and it was done with respect. So she was just thinking it was going to be the same thing. She had no idea that he was going to cut like that. And then when he did, she was like, oh, my God. But I never, like, blamed her or anything. Yeah. Does she, did she ever say, like, she feels bad for, like, how it went down? or She feels bad for what happened, yeah. But she's never been like, it's my fault. I don't think she's ever felt like it was her fault. Well, it wasn't her fault. <laughs> I don't think she feels that way anyway. But like I said, it's all Dr. Bozzi's fault. Nobody. I mean, if you wanted to stop him, you were going to go to jail. At the end of the day, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. I would have lost my baby if I would have rolled myself off the bed. You know, you know the drill. Everyone else is crazy except for him. Somebody else asked how did you decide to share your story? Which I think we kind of already talked about that was basically everybody told you you were crazy and you were like, mm-hmm. I'm going to find out if every people think that. Yeah. I just put it on the internet to prove a point. My point was I'm not crazy. What he did was crazy. How do you feel knowing that labor nurses are traumatized by witnessing this, this kind of abuse? I think it's sad. I think, it's hard to work in a field where you can't, I mean, you can't, like, if you stop them, what do you, I don't know, it's fudge. I don't even know what I would do if I was in their position. I feel bad. I know they try to help. What would you say to another Kimberly who has been assaulted? Like, maybe somebody who, you know, kind of wants to come forward, but doesn't know what she should do, or she has people around her you know, telling her to be quiet about it, what would you say to someone like that? I want to say that I would never want somebody to go through a deposition or a lawsuit like I did. I mean, I know that I'm pretty strong and I'm able to take it, but um, depositions suck and I wouldn't want to force anyone to go out and and do it unless they really wanted to. It's very similar to telling somebody that was assaulted or raped to report it and then go through a trial, like the whole Brock Turner thing. I mean, I don't, those situations are, are hard for everybody. Everybody's different. I would say, I would never be like, you need to do it for us or people like me or else things won't change. I don't like putting pressure on, on other people. It's, I'm good at reporting things that happen to me because I'm just like, well, I'm, I, I'm gonna go do it, I don't care. But I don't know how other people take it. Some people are just like, no. Yeah. It is a really traumatizing thing. Oh, they forget. There's no, there's not enough money in the world to go through uh, the, you know, know, I remember what he did. He pulled my records from uh, YWCA. YWCA uh, was therapy for assault. And they pulled up my records, read my therapy sessions. From being raped previously. Yeah. Yep. They pulled my records from that for the deposition. And then Dr. Abazi's lawyer uh, tried to say that I consented to uh, what happened to me. (laughs) So that's kind of hardcore. It's unreal. People like get so uptight about the comparison between birth assault and sexual assault. And yet when you hear stories like this, it's like, Mm-hmm. They're so similar, like, or there are so many similarities, you know, obviously they are two very different things, 
but they have such amazing parallels. And when the effect on your brain is the same, when the effect on the brain of the person who's on the receiving end of that kind of violence is the same, this PTSD, this trauma. That's what I have. I totally have that. Like there's, I mean, I was diagnosed with, I knew I had it before the lady told me I had it. And don't forget, I also had that weird stalker that tried to drop off a piece of mail in Los Angeles, drove all the way to Northern California the next day to try to get me to sign a piece of paper and showed up at my job sitting behind me for two days. I forgot about that guy. Mm -hmm. Did you ever figure out who that was? He lived in Northern California, but I don't know who he was or who sent him, but that wasn't in my brain either. That really happened. No, I remember that. I remember you like sending me a picture of the guy as you were like at work. Yeah. And that was pretty weird. Have you gotten mostly of all the people who have reached out to you with the exception of that guy? Has anyone else been, you know, less than supportive? Some people thought like, I I have, I have two people that were like, I was Dr. Abazi's patient and he saved my life. That's great. Dr. Abazi saved your life. He ruined mine. That doesn't change it. Like good for you. That's great. Not good for me. It's like when Caroline says about like, Brookwood being her Brock Turner. It's like when someone comes forward and is like, you know, I went on a date with Brock and he did not rape me. Good for you. I'm glad he didn't get raped. I did. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then people want to say, you know, it's not about the money. Go look at my pelvic bill. Go look at my pelvic bill. (laughs) That was a lot of money. Yeah. You know what? That's something I think that's a, a good point to bring up which is that you settled your case or you resolved your case and there was financial compensation involved and the public is generally so skeptical of plaintiffs on lawsuits. Like their immediate reaction. I mean, I've seen this hundreds of times, like the immediate reaction is she's just in it for the money. Like right (laughs) off the bat before they know the first thing about any of it. When it costs money to even do it. Yeah. With no, like, not even not a guarantee that you were going to win, but understanding that there was a really good chance you were not going to win. Yeah. There was a huge chance that we're not going to win. And we won when, uh, when we, when I reported him to the medical board of California, they started investigating him and then he surrendered his license. Yeah. Yeah. That's really when, when we won. The judge in Los Angeles said this case is valid. Yeah, I remember that when the when the other side tried to just get it thrown out right at the beginning. Yeah. Or they tried to give me remember they tried to give me hush money too. Oh, they tried to give me a gag order to not talk about it. I'm like, it's all over the web it's all over the internet. There's no going back to not talking about it. It is it's been talked about everywhere. Yeah. Every once in a while you you take advantage of the wrong person and you get the consequences. Yeah. Yeah, and then Every uh, while. remember he, he confused me with a, an, another Mexican 26-year-old. Because, you know, to him, we're all the same in the medical chart. Yeah, that's right. This one was different. Well, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? No. Well, thanks for talking to me on air. And um, I know everybody wishes you the very best. And... Yeah. really admires your strength and your bravery in all of this. I am always continually impressed by your, like your stamina and your spunk 
and um, your level-headedness about this completely crazy situation. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't even know if we. Someone asked us to do it again. If we would even, we didn't even know what we were doing at the time. We just went along with it. I remember the day or the day or the week before, like you actually filed it and everybody all like all of us, like on the, your little team, it was like, I don't know, like five people. And yeah. it was sort of like that last, like those like, like cold feet, like, should, should you really, really going this? down? And you were like, should I really do this? Like, I remember you being like, I don't know if I should do this. And then everyone was just like, this is completely up to you. Like, this is a big decision. You have got to be comfortable yeah. with it. And then I remember like it took like a day or two and you were just like, I'm doing it. Do it. Let's and then you it. did it. You did it. And you made history. We did it. Aww. We did. For the whole, everybody, we pushed through. It was a humbling experience. And it never ends. You just find other people and other people and other people and it just never ends. Well, I think we're making progress though, don't you? We are. Yeah. Still a long way to go. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Bye. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.